You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, awesome. Welcome this morning to Banner Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, awesome, excited. That's a series we're actually going to begin the week after Father's Day, and I think it's so important in this summer that we talk about what it means to praise the Lord. You know, as people, we were created and and really blessed with uh, the ability and the call to worship God with our words, with our voices, with instruments. I mean, there is a blessing ingrained in nature with the vibrations of sound and how we lift up and, and declare things to the Lord. But so often, I think there's a lot of tension in worship because we don't really understand it. We don't really understand what we're supposed to do during that portion of the service or with that gift and that blessing, but it is actually pretty amazing because uh, worship breaks chains, worship delivers lives, in worship we see uh, healing, we see restoration, we see leading out in the spirit, we see supernatural results, and oftentimes the tension that we experience in worship is because of factors in our life, and so we say, well, I, I just don't really like songs, or I don't really like this, but man, there's so much more going on in the spirit, and so we want to teach you about that, but that's going to be in two weeks. It's after Father's Day. Next week is Father's Day, which is going to be awesome. Uh, We're going to have some dad jokes. We're going to have some dad snacks. We're going to have some dad gifts, Uh, so I encourage you, uh, if you're a dad, be here. Lead your family well. That's the best way to set an example that they can follow. Uh, If you know a dad or some guy who's wearing jorts, so he looks like he might be a dad, uh, bring him, a spiritual father, a cool uncle, a guy that's kind of your grandpa, I don't know, but bring them. We want to celebrate. We want to encourage them and uh, have a great Sunday. Amen? Amen. Uh, Today, after service, we have our leadership lunch. It's our last leadership lunch. I believe my wife mentioned it uh, of this season. We're going to talk about the desert season and how you navigate and how you learn and grow in unique positions of life. And I believe it's going to bless you as we kind of head into the summer and just get into the heat uh, of all of our desert season. Um, It's going to be good. But I wanted to celebrate something with you guys today. And last week, how many of you guys were here last week? Awesome. We finished our giving series, talking about money, God's way, talking about generosity. Uh, If you did not, uh, if you weren't here, I encourage you, go listen to that sermon and really be engaged in the blessing of generosity, because it will enrich your life. Uh, So we shared a little bit, hey, we have Aimright Student Ministries, one of the ministries that we partner with. We said, listen, they need their camp sponsored. We want to go above and beyond. Our men's uh, leader, David Berry, said, hey, we want to go above and beyond and raise twenty or $12,500 to sponsor. And so I said, listen, hey, here's an opportunity for us as a church to lead the way in generosity and see God the see God bless. And what was cool is this Friday, I got to take a check to Amright Ministries for $14,000 that you guys raised, amen, in just a few hours. Literally, 10,000 of those dollars were raised in under two hours because you guys are generous and you caught a hold of what God wanted to do and I believe that he's going to bless it and those are just the seeds that we're planting to see him move. Amen? Amen. What an, what an awesome thing, right? I was just so proud. I was like, yes, this is it, right? This is the way, right? <laughs> this is it. This is, we talked about the beginning, right? This is the way for sure to be generous and see God move. But today I want to talk a little bit about what I like to call the distance. Someone say the distance. 
the distance. We're going to talk today about the distance. I really want to encourage you, if you have the capability to take notes today, because it's important, it'll keep you focused on what God wants to say to help you remember, because I'm going to share some stuff with you. Amen? Has anyone uh, in your life ever had a dream? Not like, uh, like you dreamed things, like I dreamed I was a pizza last night, right? Not like that. I mean, like you had a dream for your family or your vision or your future. Anyone ever had like a dream in your life? When you were a kid, did you have a dream? Like I, had a, I was going to be a firefighter, maybe it would be a policeman or I don't know, mechanic or I don't know, whatever, right, you wanted to be. Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a soccer player and a pastor. Those were things that I wanted to be. I thought that those went together. They don't. But, you know, I was half right. Uh, um, so I, I really had that dream. I love to hear my kids dream. My daughter's kind of at that age where she's starting to have like, oh, I wish I could be blank. I wish I could do this. She's like looking up to people in her life. So, you know, people in her life do well. Um, she's like looking at people in her life like, oh, I want to I wanna do this, you know. She like wants to be like her mom. She wants to like dress all stylish and cool and wear cool earrings and be like her and lose those earrings in the pool. She wants to be that cool. Um, <laughs> and uh, she came to me the other day and she said, she had like a picture that she painted. It was like her behind like a little like podium thing. You remember this? And she's like, I want to be a pastor when I grow up. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I love you. <laughs> I've done at least one thing right. Uh, and I was so encouraged, right? Because if she came to me, she's like, I want to be a firefighter. I'd be like, here, lift this bag of sand and take this hose somewhere, right? Like, I wouldn't know what to do. But uh, luckily, pastor, I was like, yes, we can make this happen. Uh, but she's sick, so who knows what, she, you know. Yesterday, she wanted to be a cat, so I don't know. You know, I don't know what her dreams are for the future. <laughs> but uh, I think everyone has had some kind of dream at some point in life. And I, in reality, getting the dream is the easy part. And living in, like, the promised land of that fulfillment, also pretty fun and cool. But it's everything in between that's really hard, right? Everything in between, receiving the dream and arriving at the destination, that's called the distance. It's the gap between the promise and the promised land. And in that space is usually where we find all of the difficulty, Right? It's where we find all of the difficult parts, all the struggles, right? It's not a getting the dream. It's not in the promised land. It's not in the destination. It's this, it's this middle part, the distance. Has anyone ever lived in the distance? Some of you are like, yes, right now. Right now I'm in there. The distance is where we find the difficulty. It's also where we can feel lost. Has anyone ever been uh, lost in a big city? Or just like lost in your neighborhood, be honest. You're not a navigator, be honest. Yes, thank you. Thank you. This is a healing place. There's no shame for those who look to the Lord. Their faces are radiant. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I, uh, I was in uh, the end of seventh grade going into eighth grade, and I got to go to Japan for a student exchange program. And now... Uh, I never been to Japan. We did this like Japanese class leading up to it where we were supposed to learn Japanese. And if you know anything about Japanese, it's like impossible. <laughs> uh, there's like three different versions of when you read it on signs. There's like the traditional version. There's like the adjusted modern version. And then there's some other version that I don't know. It's like anime or whatever that's called. I don't know. Um, there's all these versions. And uh, I didn't know any of them except like Origato Gozaimasu and I think Domo Origato Mr. Roboto. That was about the extent of my Japanese. And so we 
I was with my host family. It was me and my buddy Jordan, and we were with our host family, and we stayed with them for 10 days, and so we would travel places, and like the biggest city I'd been in at that point was Washington, D.C., and Tokyo is quite larger than Washington, D.C., and so we decided we're going to go from our, the place we were staying, which was in Kogane, which was a, is a suburb of Tokyo, and we're going to go to the Ginza, which is like this luxury shopping district. That would be the equivalent of me going from here as a seventh grader to surprise. Okay, that's that distance. Now, if you look it up, I thought about putting a map up. It is the most infinite gray amount of buildings you could possibly imagine because between there and there live like 35 million people, right? Because I'm going from the edge into the heart of the city. But that's not the hard part. The hard part is I don't know what any of the signs mean, right? Because again, domo arigato, extent of my Japanese. And uh, we get on the subway together, and I don't know what it's like now, but pre-COVID, you would ve very kindly but firmly uh, get onto the subway shoulder to shoulder, and then you would just kind of ride it out, and then you would just get off all packed in, right, in a group, and then go out, especially if it's like rush hour, right? You're jammed in. And so I, at a seventh grader, I was very short. Um, until the ninth grade, I only came up to my future wife and beautiful wife's shoulders, right? Between ninth grade and tenth grade, I literally grew ten inches. I, I don't know, drank a bunch of milk or something. I don't know. Um, but I was very short, and so in that moment, I was a short, skinny kid, and I got lost in coming out of the subway to transfer subways, Okay. Not the restaurant, a Japanese underground train. Okay, you guys, you got your faces don't tell me you recognize how scary this is. All right, I am a seventh grade child with very little street smarts. Very little. Very little, right? Seattle was a big city to me, right? Who is now in the heart, I don't know even if it's the heart, of Tokyo, knowing nobody and not knowing the language. I don't know the address of where we live. I don't know the address of where we're going. I know the name of the general city. That city, that suburb contains 1.5 million people. <laughs> I know the names, the first names of the people I'm staying with, but not the last names, I was underprepared, <laughs> right? My parents are probably wondering, at, you know, if they, if they were to hear this story, why did we let him do these things? I don't know. Times were different. You let your kids wander off. Um, so we're separated, and I'm freaking out because I know where we're going to go. I've seen a picture of the Ginza. I'm like, it looks cool, but I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to find it. I don't know how I'm going to get back. And all of a sudden, I see this beacon in front of me. Now, my buddy Jordan, he was not short like me. He was six foot five heading into the eighth grade. He was a giant, right? And this was the 90s, and in America, we had a thing called frosted tips. Frosted tips. Y'all know frosted tips. That's right. Listen, young generation, stop trying to bring garbage like this back. It was bad then. It's bad now. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it right? <laughs> Leave it. <laughs> Anyways, if you get frosted tips, I'm kind of about it. That'd be funny. Let me know. Um, so he's got frosted tips. He's 6'5". And in Japan in the 90s, there was kind of like one hairstyle, and it was not frosted tips. And it was not 6'5 frosted tips. So he comes walking across like to the back of this room. I see his frosted tips like a glowing beacon of 90s chaotic good. And I just like start pushing my way through 
you know, I basically I am the American that they warned everybody about. It's just like, get out of my way, right? I'm just like moving through the crowd to get to him. Why? Because I was terrified. I was terrified because I was lost in the space of knowing where I was coming from and believing where I was going to go. And this is the reality is that when we get lost in our journey, it's not at the beginning and it's not at the end. Usually it's in the distance. And that's where things like fear come in. That's where things like anxiety, doubt, concern, we start off knowing where we want to go. We start off knowing where we're going to end up. But since we don't really know what's going to happen in that distance, often we can get lost. We can get concerned. We can wonder, where am I going? I had such a clear picture, but now I just don't really know. And many of us, God has given a dream or a vision for your future. You feel like God has given a dream for your family or your life or your city or hopefully your church. And we know the dream, but we don't quite see how we're going to get to the destination. We have a picture. We kind of think we understand, but we're living in that space called the distance. And my question today is not whether there is a space called the distance, because anyone who's lived any portion of life knows that there is a space between the dream and the destination. My thought today, and what I want to encourage you with today is, how do we live in that space called the distance? In, uh, in boxing, or really any fight, when you go uh, all rounds, when you get through the whole fight, when you make it the whole way, all 12 rounds, or whatever it might be for that fight, it's called going the distance. It means like the bell rang, you came into the center, you fought, you probably got punched in the face, you might have got knocked down a couple times, but at the end, you made it, you went back to your stool, you got back up when it rang, and you came back out, and you did it over and over, and you went the distance. And you fought the good fight, and regardless of what the judges said, you made it, and you went the distance. My question is, how do we live in that distance? How do we have joy? How do we have hope? How do we get here to the destination and not just be like bitter, angry, frustrated husks of our former self, right? It's like, oh my gosh, Lord, never give me another dream again. How do we get here and go, God, speak again into my life and call me to greater things? That's what we want. How do we get here with joy? It's how we live in this space called the distance. So I want to talk a little bit, a bit, a little bit about how we do that. And I want to talk about Joseph. Someone say Joseph. Joseph is an amazing example. We can't cover his whole life, but I'm just going to summarize it. And I really want to encourage you, if you are living in that space called the distance, no matter how great or small, I think Joseph is a very encouraging person in Scripture to encourage you in the distance. So we're going to open up uh, to Genesis chapter 37 if you have your Bible. Joseph went the distance, but it's not just how he went the distance between the dream and the destination, it, it, or that he went the distance. It's how he went the distance. It's how he did it. Joseph, just a little background on him. Joseph is the son of Jacob, son of Abraham. He's part of this lineage of Abraham. He's part of this lineage of the promise of God to bring about a redeemer for the earth a redeemer for us. He's part of the lineage of which we get Jesus Christ. He's part of the establishment of Israel. In fact, Jacob, his dad, is called the father of the 12 tribes, nations of Israel. So Joseph is one of these brothers who become the tribes of Israel that you read about in the Exodus, that you read about going into the promised land. But the thing about Joseph is uh, none of the other brothers that were alive at this time liked him at all. 
Joseph was generally not liked by his brothers, and he was very much loved by his father, which if you're a sibling, you know, makes you not like your brother as much. Because you all think that your parents have a favorite. I never had siblings, but I grew up with people that had siblings, and all they talked about is how the other kid is always the favorite. There was always a favorite. You who have siblings, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, I'm not the favorite, but I know who the favorite is. Some of you are like, I'm the favorite. <laughs> I know. But Joseph was considered the favorite, and he was given a dream by God, and it's a pretty big deal. So I want to read that dream just to start, and then we'll read about the fulfillment of it. It says this, Genesis 37, verse 5. It says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. It says, Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Bold. He says, Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But then he told it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, and his father kept the saying in mind. Okay, this is important here. Not in my notes, but it is important here. We kind of assume that the brothers and the father's interpretation is right for some reason. We read it. It's like, we assume that the murderous people who are about to sell him into slavery have the correct wisdom from God in this instance. I would like to suppose that they don't. Hence, the whole about to sell him into slavery after they think about killing him thing, right? <laughs> I want to say, be careful who you tell your dream to, right? Be careful. Be careful who you give the interpretation of the vision and dream God's put on your life. Be careful. Because what he does is he says, hey, I have this dream. He brings it to his brothers, and his brothers say, oh, do you mean to rule over us? And what we see in the fulfillment is he does not rule over him in the way that they are assuming that he would take power and dominion and take the role of the family. He ends up blessing them. But they interpret it based off their own insecurities. It's crazy to me how people will manipulate what God has called you to do because of their own feelings, because of their own emotions, and because of their own insecurities. So he has this very unique dream. He says his father kept it in mind. And so, of course, he has a dream and it's fulfilled right away, right? I mean, instantly. Has a dream fulfilled, right? No. No, of course not. By the nature of it being a dream means it's not happened yet, right? Or else that would be called a reality. By the nature of it being a dream means it's going to happen, or else it would just be being awake, right? <laughs> and being present in what's happening now. The very fact that it's a dream means there's a space between when you have received it and when you're going to see it fulfilled. For Joseph, that amount of time was 22 years. Some of you here today aren't as old as Joseph's dream, right? <laughs> How long he had to wait? 22 years. And I'm not saying that that's like a number, like when God gives you a dream, it's going to take 22 years. No, no, not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is Joseph's dream took 22 years, and that's a long time, which is why we can learn from him. 
Because I don't know if I've waited 22 years for anything. Maybe to get married. I got married when I was 22. But, I mean, I kind of started that when I was like 17. So, you know, that was five years. I didn't really give it my, I wasn't like five years old trying to get married. Uh, <laughs> God's given me a dream straight out of the womb. I married this beautiful blonde woman. <laughs> 22 years. So here's what happens in the 22 years. Let me sum it up really quick. His brothers don't like it. They say, let's kill him. Everyone's like, yeah, sounds like a good idea. Let's kill him. Then they're like, ah, maybe let's not kill him. Maybe let's sell him into slavery and then dip his robe into blood and tell dad we killed him. Huh? Right? Ideas. We're rolling, spitballing. There's no bad idea, guys. That's a bad idea. Right? You know, when you're in a session, people are like, we're just throwing things out. There's no bad idea. There are bad ideas. That's one of them. They're selling some into slavery. Instantly a bad idea. But they do. They sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He is a slave in a, a master's house named Potiphar, a leader in Egypt. But he rises up into favor. He's a good-looking guy. Potiphar's wife notices he's a good-looking guy. He's a sharp guy. She says, I like this. I want some of that. You should come sleep with me. And over and over and over, she has this over and over and over. She says, you should come sleep with me. He says, no. She tries. He runs out. She accuses him of raping her. His master is furious, sends him to prison. Lucky that, luckily, he didn't kill him because that actually would have been allowed. Sends him to prison. So now he's a slave in prison. Pretty far from the promise, right? Pretty low. And in prison, he's a good steward. He gets favor, becomes in charge of prisoners. He begins to interpret the dreams of some of the prisoners, and one of them is elevated back up into leadership, and he says, hey, remember me. And the prisoner forgets him. So he spends more years in prison. Finally, Pharaoh has a bad dream. Cupbearer remembers Joseph, and he's brought out of prison. He interprets the dream. He's put into a place of authority, and he becomes the second most powerful man in the world. How do you know that? Well, Egypt at the time was the most powerful kingdom in the world, and he was put second in charge. So vis-a-vis, -vis, likely the second most powerful person in the world. 22 years until the promise is fulfilled. In fact, there's a couple, a little bit more after this. 13 of it as a slave. That's a long time. That is a huge amount of time. But he's brought out, and he advises Pharaoh about the famine that's going to come. The famine hits. His brothers come to him. His brothers come for food. They don't even notice it's him because it has been forever since they have seen him. They don't know it's him. They come to him for help, and here's what happens. You would think he'd be like, this is it. This is my moment. I'm going to crush these dudes, right? But here's what happens. Genesis 45. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. We know from context, he is overjoyed. He is weeping over his brothers. He's celebrating their union. He's rejoicing. He's not furious. He's not like, has like a sword in the other hand. He's going to sneak up on him. He's literally crying. He's so happy to reveal that he's their brother. 
He says, God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This is amazing. He goes from slave prisoner to literally Pharaoh's like spiritual father. Pharaoh was young. He was not young anymore. Here, here he is advising Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. The question I think here is not how is Joseph here. We'll talk about that. The question is how is he not bitter? How is he not low-key furious, right? Like, let's kill half the brothers to make a point. How is he not giving up? How has he gone the distance in the space? He's seeing the dream fulfilled. He's seeing this moment fulfilled. It doesn't look like his brothers said it would. It looks close, but it doesn't look like it. The dream is completely fulfilled, and yet here he is praising God. How do we face the difficulties that are inherent in the distance between the dream and the de destination and still be joyful, still be full of life, not be bitter, not be barely making it, not be scraping by, but be living to the complete and fullest extent even in dark and difficult times? Let me tell you what Joseph did. You ready? First thing you can write down, be present in the process. Be present in the process. This is so important. I've got two main points. This is one of them. Be present in the process. The first thing we see in Joseph's life after the dream is that he's sold into slavery. And I would have to say, I personally wouldn't blame him if he gave up a little bit in slavery. I've never been in slavery, but from what I hear and read about it, it doesn't sound awesome, and it sounds like I wouldn't blame somebody for giving up hope while they're in slavery. Fair? For saying, oh, this looks, there's no way. There's no way I get to where I feel like God has called me from where I am. Our friends from Maine, and they joke about how there's parts of Maine that you can't get to from Maine. You've got to go into other states to get back. So there's a phrase, you can't get there from here. Sometimes we look at our life and think, I can't get there from here. That would be slavery in the ancient Near East. There is zero upward mobility in the ancient Near East. If you're a slave, guess what your kids are? Slaves. That's, that's how slavery works. Not a lot of upward mobility. But look what happens. Genesis 39. Genesis 39, verse 2. It says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. I love this. The Lord was with Joseph. This is so important. God did not put Joseph in slavery. This was not God saying, like, now you got to prove that you can fulfill the dream, right? This is not God saying, like, I'm going to make you suffer, and if you do a good enough job suffering, then I'm going to fulfill the dream that I gave you. You got to prove if you're worth the dream, right? You got to prove it. Technically, this is another point, but I, I just have to say it here. We live with this expectation for some reason 
that like if we encounter these spaces and these difficulties, that we have to prove to God that we're worthy of the dream he's put upon our life. And can I just say, if he gave it to you, he already gave it to you. He's already put it upon your heart. You don't have to prove worthiness. You just have to be present in the process with him. Our job is to stay linked with God and close to God, even when people treat us poorly and do evil things against us. Are you with me? See, sometimes what others do to you is going to make you want to give up. But God is saying, listen, lean into me. Joseph didn't give up. He's present in the process. He stewards the house well. He showed he was trustworthy in the small spaces, and God elevated him even in these dark and difficult places, right? Only God can elevate somebody in the places that the world says are complete garbage and worthlessness. Only God can do that. And God God did not put him there, but God is the only one who could lift him up out of there. That's how it works. God did not put him there to prove himself or to earn it, but God is the only one who could still bring about the the dream and the miracle and the destination, even with all the evil that the world was trying to come against him. But there's a choice, and he had a choice. I could check out, or I could press in. In a worship team, there's a really key season, and Jan and I sat down, and there was a value that we came up with at the time that was press in, don't shut down. When you're believing for great things from God, difficulty will come, but I have a choice. Am I going to press into God, or am I going to shut down, right? Am I going to step out on a leap of faith, or am I going to just turtle in my little shell? See, what's amazing about God is what the enemy meant to destroy you, what the enemy meant to ruin you, God can still use to prepare you if you're present in the process. And so Joseph starts to grow in stature. Scripture says he's very handsome. So Potiphar's wife is like, yeah, now we're talking. It's like, you should come to bed with me. And mind you, she was technically his master, so he technically speaking can't say no, but he does. He says no multiple times, like over and over and over. Finally, she grabs him by the cloak one day. She like lures him into her bedroom. She gla- grabs him by the cloak and is like, come to bed with me. And he's, he's like, no. And he's so jacked that he just like tears through Hulk Hogan style through his cloak and runs out. And in that moment, he had to know that he was screwed, right? Like, you're running halfway naked through your master's house as a slave. That's going to be a bad day no matter how that lands, right? Not in the way she wanted. Uh, He's in trouble. Uh, (laughs) And so he takes off, and she accuses him of trying to sleep with her. What, What I think is interesting is Joseph was a smart guy, and I honestly believe that he probably could have justified sleeping with this person in his brain. He's been a slave for a while. Uh, in the ancient Near East, if you're a slave, it, you're not, like, waiting for that special someone, right? Like, <laughs> that's, it's not happening for you. You're not getting any now. You're probably not getting any in the future, right? So he could have justified, wait a second, God. This is not the life that I wanted. And you know what? I see other people doing whatever they— I, I want to do that. I want to go after that. I want to pursue that, right? But instead— He doesn't justify behavior he knows that goes against God and a heart that goes against God because he's being present in the process with what God wants to do. He's still holding on to the dream. This is so important. As you're trying to be present in the process, I guess this would be like underneath number one, this subcategory. (laughs) Compromise always has a cost. 
If you're present in the process, you must know that compromise always has a cost. Here's what happens. We say, God is not fulfilling what I need, so I will fulfill it for him. God hasn't brought me the right spouse. All my other friends are hooking up with people. They're getting sexually fulfilled. That's what I want. It sucks feeling, and I've had this conversation with lots of young men, feeling like the last righteous man in Babylon. When everybody else is living it up. It's like, you know, I think I'm just going to go get mine then. God doesn't bring me the right person. I'm just going to go do what I want. The hard part is what that is, is that's taking the spot of God in our life. When you hear that voice that says, God's not working fast enough. He's not doing enough. He's not fulfilling enough. He's not going to fulfill this in your life. You should just go become the God of your life and fulfill it for him. That is not from the Lord. That is not from him. And you can go do that, and it might make you happy, but it will not bring you to the destination of the fulfillment of God's dream in your life. Joseph knew something. Even in difficulty and even in the distance. He knew it when he was in slavery even. Obedience brings opportunity. Here's the thing. The plans of man might be evil, but the plans of God are good. And God's plan for his life was good. And though evil men treated him with evil intent in their heart and came against him, he still held that if I'm obedient and walk faithfully to the Lord, God will be faithful to fulfill his promise. Psalms 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. When the world is not good, God is still good. But if we compromise from God's standards and set ourselves as God of our own life, then we miss out in the blessing of the fulfilled God dream upon our life. Are you with me? That if we take that place, we usurp that role. If we put ourselves on the throne, then we reap whatever benefit we get from that moment, but we miss the opportunity that God has for us. But what's so cool about Joseph is he chose to stay faithful and not compromise, even in the face of death. Says Genesis 39, as soon as his master heard the words his wife spoke to him, basically she said, He tried to rape me. He said, This is the way your servant treated me. He says his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. They really want you to know the brother is in prison. In the king's prison. Like, if you were a king and you hated people, what kind of prison would you build for them? Like the meanest prison you could build, right? That prison. But not only that, he's a slave in prison. When you're a slave, the only place down that's not death from slavery is slave in prison. So he is the lowest. In fact, they build them into the ground. So not only is he like socially lower than everyone, he is literally lower than everyone. At the time, like sewer junk would come into the dungeons and prisons. They were gross. They're gross now, but they were real gross then. He was lower than everyone. I think here nobody would blame him for giving up on the dream, saying, I, maybe I got the thing with the bundles of wheat wrong. <laughs> right? Ate some bad hummus, now I'm here. It wasn't the right dream. But look, Genesis 39, 21, I love this verse. If you're in a dark place, if you're, if you're in the distance, hear this. It says, 
But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The Lord is the only one who can turn prison into a success story, right? God did not put him in prison, but God is not going to let the prison and imprisonment of others destroy the dream he's given somebody if that person is present in the process. Could you imagine a prison today? Imagine visiting a prison and being like, who is this guy in charge? You're like, oh yeah, that's Rick. Like, Who's Rick? Oh, he was like a super cool prisoner. We put him in charge of anything. Not only that, we don't pay attention to anything he's in charge of. You'd be like, what? This is the worst, right? That's what's happening. People were still people couple thousand years ago, right? Prisons, still pretty prison-y back then, right? Probably more. But God gave him incredible favor because he has his perspective. Even in prison, even in slavery, I will be present in the process. I will steward what God has. I will lean upon God, and I will not let difficulty and discouragement derail my dream. Hear me, to be present in the process. Hear me, do not let difficulty and discouragement derail you. Difficulty is not a sign of disobedience. Now, sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes you're in difficulty because you made dumb choices. I have lived in those seasons of difficulty because I've made dumb choices, right? I mean, just let's be real, church. <laughs> We're like, why God? And he's like, because you made dumb choices. Like, <laughs> you're right, right? Let's be honest. But it's not, all, it's not the case that just because you're facing difficulty means like you're living in disobedience and God has forgotten you. He doesn't believe, believe in the dream or he's let you go or something like that. Sometimes the reality is we live in a broken world full of sinful people just like us who do broken people, sinful world things and do evil to others and treat others with evil in their heart and we make mistakes and no one's perfect and we all need Jesus Christ. Amen? It could also be that maybe the enemy doesn't want you to get through the distance to the destination. Do you think that the enemy saw this, that Satan saw this, saw this as an opportunity to destroy the very person that God intended to save his people, the people from whom Jesus Christ was going to come through? Probably. And sometimes what's coming against you is a spiritual attack from the enemy. Now, you need the wisdom to tell if this is just your bad decisions or a spiritual attack. And often we know, right? Don't over-spiritualize your bad decisions and to say it's Satan. But very often, we come against attack. But how often do we allow that discouragement? That discouragement. I have a dream. I'm in the distance. Things are coming against me. How often do we allow that discouragement to derail the dream God gave us? I've heard this kind of idea tossed around a couple of times, so let me clarify for you. I've heard this idea that like God makes us suffer so that we learn something. It's like, well, God's just trying to teach me something right now. It's like, no, God hopes you'll learn something right now. But God is not an abusive relationship. He's not hurting you so that you'll finally pay attention to him. Now, God will convict. God will challenge. God, like a surgeon, will cut things away. He'll bring things to the surface that hurt and you gotta deal with, right? 
having to work through the emotions in your life is not God hurting you, right? A, a counselor would do that. And God is the good counselor. But as we look at specifically when God gives us a dream and he gives us a purpose and a plan, God is not like, well, I'm going to bring all this evil against him. I'm going to put Joseph in prison. And if Joseph does well enough in prison, then he'll earn his spot. He'll earn his position. But he does say, man, as Joseph walks through the difficulties, I pray and the desire of God's heart, the desire of God's heart, let me say that word, the desire of God's heart is that Joseph would lean on him and not his own understanding and that God would make his path straight and that God would deliver him and God would work through him. See, often what you're learning is because of our choices or the broken world, but why we're learning is because we have a God who loves us and cares for us and can take even the broken things and make them beautiful. They can take even the prison and turn it into a purpose. Are you with me? He can take slavery and he can turn it into freedom and redemption. He can take broken families like this family. He can restore it. He can take broken bodies and he can heal it. Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. This is not to diminish suffering today or to diminish your suffering or to say, just grit your way through it. That's not what I'm here to say. I'm here to say that God is with you, and he longs, and the desire of his heart is that you would not let the discouragement of this world derail you for the dream he's put upon your life. Genesis 39, 23 says, whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. See, difficulty's going to come, but how we respond determines if we go the distance. Joseph is present in the process. He does not compromise. He doesn't let it derail him. He's put in charge of the prisoners, and two of those prisoners are the cupbearer and the baker. Everyone still with me? Cupbearer and the baker. And it says, one night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. So, so when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Okay, did you catch that? He asked his former roommates. These are people who were also servants in the master's house. He knows them. They have seen his integrity. Did you know that your integrity is on display no matter where you are stationed in life and people are watching? See, we think we're going to get it together when we get on the platform or we get opportunity, but what you're doing now will influence what comes to be. Your obedience now with your roommates and how you act around them will be a part of the fulfillment of your promise. And it says, they said to him, we've had dreams. There's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, do not the interpretations belong to God. Please tell them. And so he interprets the dream. I love this. Joseph, at the beginning of the story, who interprets the dream? The brothers, the father. Now he's interpreting. He's learning in prison, right? He's developing in prison. He's learning. He's learning to interpret dreams with the wisdom of God. This is, this is going to be so important. And he says to the cupbearer, listen, you're going to be restored, but remember me. And of course he does, right? No. Instantly forgets him. And for two years, he's still in prison. And some of you, you're in that space of feeling forgotten, like Joseph. Could you imagine? I'm finally getting out. I'm finally getting out. And his buddy gets out, and what does he do? His roommate forgets him, like he didn't know he was in prison. 
But hear me, as you're being present in the process, you need to know if God gave it, he will fulfill it. Some of you need to write this on your heart. If God gave it, he will fulfill it. Joseph has a big dream. Joseph is helping others with their dreams. He's developing his talent. He's growing. But the very people he helped do not even remember him. Genesis 40, 23 says, The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. What I love is that Joseph held on to the truth that God is faithful. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen? How is God, how is Joseph not bitter? How is he not shut down? Because he knew his dream came from God and not from man. So though man forgot him, though man did evil against him, though man spoke against him, though man lied about him, God was still and is still faithful. He doesn't live or exist to serve man. He lives and exists to serve God. And if God promised it, he will fulfill it. Hear me today. If you're in this place and you have been given a God-sized dream for your future, but you are living in the distance right now. God has not forgotten you. Your friends might have forgotten you. Your friends might not have stewarded that dream well. Your family might not have stewarded that dream well. The people around you might not have stewarded that well or encouraged you. But God has not forgotten you. God does not give dreams and forget them. God does not give dreams and not fulfill them. God is a God of fulfillment and faithfulness generation to generation to generation. And I love that, that Joseph didn't give in to that. He didn't live to serve and please mankind. He lived to serve and please God. And so two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. Young Pharaoh, young guy, has a dream. He's freaked out. No one in the kingdom can interpret. The cupbearer is in the back of, like, the palace, like, oh, man. Oh, he's going to be so mad. Oh, he's probably forgotten. And then he comes forward. He's like, hey, listen. Um, yo, so my roommate's in prison and uh, former roommate— we don't talk much for two years. And uh, he can interpret dreams, and he interpreted my dream. You should call him. He says, okay. So Genesis 41, 14 says, And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and he quickly brought him out of the pit. He shaved himself and changed his clothes. He came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. Get this. This is so huge. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Okay. Egypt had gods. Joseph is literally saying to the most powerful man in the world, your gods have failed. Bold. Right? He's a slave. He's a prisoner. He's saying, your gods have failed, but Yahweh will give an interpretation. Could you imagine? Can you just imagine this right now? Imagine that it's like, the president is like, we need direction. Amen. And uh, they were like, they're like, I mean, maybe we could imagine this. And he's like, let's go to prison and get a prisoner to come and tell us how we should run the country, in this case, for the next seven years. And then that prisoner comes up and it's like, listen, everything you believe, complete failure. This is what God's going to do. That would be crazy bold, right? It's even more bold then because he probably would have died instantly because it's kind of insulting. Especially when Pharaoh was supposed to be an offspring of God. And he starts, 
advising him. He gives him an interpretation of his dream and starts advising him. He says, listen, a famine's coming. You got to prepare. And here's how you're going to do it. Bold. So bold. Slave prisoner telling the most powerful man in the world, hey, just want to give you a heads up, homie. Here's how you're going to run the world for the next seven years. <laughs> so bold. Where did Joseph learn this? It was not at a university. It wasn't in a governmental position. He didn't do a season of internship, right? It wasn't in Congress, lower steps building up, right? Where did he learn this? Straight up prison. Prison. Slavery. Joseph stepped in one day, slave prisoner, into becoming the second in charge of Egypt, second most powerful man in the world in one day. Talk about a glow up, right? He goes from straight up slave prisoner, second most powerful man in the world in one day. How? How? Because he was present in the process. Hear me today. We must grow in the distance to go the distance. Dream interpretation. At the beginning, he could not do it. Now he can for the most powerful man in the world. Before he's getting these whack interpretations from his brothers that hate him, like, yeah, that means you're going to rule us. Let's murder him. And now he's like leading the entire nation and potentially uh, world around there. How? Because in prison, he was present in the process. When other people checked out, probably, he grew close to God. He grew in wisdom. He grew in understanding. He spent time with the Lord. See, we so bemoan those spaces that we miss often what God wants to teach us. We're so worried that we're there. We're so bemoaning that space and crying about that space that God's like, man, if you would just get a perspective, I know it sucks and this is not what I have for you, but I'm the only one that can turn this absolute garbage heap into something beautiful. That's what God can do. God can take the most broken junk and make something beautiful out of it. I'm so thankful because I myself am a whole bunch of broken junk that he did something beautiful in my life and constantly does something. Now he's interpreting for this powerful man. I wonder if there were other prisoners that are like, I wish I could do that. And I wonder if Joseph thought, really, are you sure? You want to go through what I went through to do what I do now? Because see, we all want this. We all want this. I can't even tell you how many conversations I have of young ministers like, I want to do what you do. It's like, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. If you knew what you were saying, the answer is no, you don't. Because how many of us really want to develop in the distance? It's hard. It's tough. How about administration? Right? Here he is like, he's leading a slave master's house. He's leading a whole prison. What does he end by? Leading all of Egypt. Where did he develop that? It wasn't in a university. It, wasn't a, it was in prison. God is the only one that can turn prison into like this Ivy League education of potential, right? And he's developing. He's learning 22 years of faithfulness when he could have given up. Here's what's amazing. When you grow in the distance, you are defeating the enemy because the enemy wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to undercut that dream. He wants to destroy your hope. So when you say, no, 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 listen, I will not let the brokenness of this world and the schemes of the enemy destroy what I believe God for my life. You say, God, God is for me, and if he is for me, who can be against me? And I will continue to be faithful. 
in all seasons. I will continue to hold that dream near and dear to my heart. Listen, that makes the enemy angry because he knows that God is perfect and good and that if you stay faithful and walking with the Lord, that you will see the promise fulfilled in your life. The things that were meant to destroy us, God will use to develop us and walk out the promise. See, Joseph ends up saving the very people that tried to destroy him. He ends up restoring a family relationship that, in my personal opinion, was probably broken beyond human repair. I don't know your family, but unless someone in your family has recently sold one of your siblings into slavery, your family's not this broken. Just saying, if your family has ever had the conversation like, let's murder him or sell him into slavery, then you kind of know what they're talking about. That's a pretty broken family. God can restore even the most broken thing. He didn't break the family, but he can build a testimony out of restoring it. But it's important. What Joseph did in that space mattered. What you do in the distance matters. But this leads me to my big question of the whole morning. How did Joseph stay present in the process? How did he grow in the distance? How did he show love to those who enslaved him? How did he have joy instead of being lost in depression? How was he at peace even when it felt like everything was against him? How was he patient while being a slave for 13 years? How was he kind instead of bitter towards the brothers who sold him into slavery? How was he enduring? How was he faithful? How was he self-controlled? Could you imagine having the power and authority to enact vengeance against those who tried to kill you? What would you do with it? Probably not what he did. Could you imagine that space? And yet here he is having self-control. How? Let me read you a verse. Galatians 5.22. It's going to be on the screen. Follow along with me. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. Listen, Joseph was able to be present in the process because he had, God, he had God's Spirit. Let me say that again. Joseph could be present in the process because he, he had God's spirit. He had God's spirit. And we know that Genesis 41, 38, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Here's Pharaoh, not even a believer, who's like, something's different about this guy. He's got the Spirit of God. How do we live in the distance? How do we be present in the process? This is numero dos. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, John 14, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God has given you the Holy Spirit to be everything you need for what he has called you to do. Everything that he has called you, everything to fulfill the dream that he has put upon your life, he has given you the Holy Spirit. Band, you can come up today. So close. Uh, I love to garden, and I love to take uh, my son. He loves gardening. He loves digging in the dirt, which is like half of gardening. And uh, I always have this big five-gallon bucket that we take to water some of our trees. And I fill it up all the way with water, and then he takes it upon himself, knowing that is the task that we are going to do right now, to try to carry a five-gallon full bucket of water by himself. Mind you, I'm there the whole time, and I'm like, buddy, 
I didn't fill this up so that you would carry it by yourself. I'm here. We're carrying it. I mean, honestly, I'm carrying it, but he thinks he's carrying it, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, wow, you're so strong, buddy, right? <laughs> but what happens is he tries to carry it, and he's like, ah, ah. It's like, I never meant for him to carry this, but he just feels like he has to to prove something. I don't know. And he's carrying it, and then what happens inevitably is it's big and heavy, and he trips over it and spills it and goes face first over the bucket, right? And then he cuts himself, and then he looks at me like, Why? as if I did this to him, right? I'm like, no, buddy. Like, what we're doing, I'm supposed to be the strength for. And you're just supposed to go with me and be obedient and be present in this process. God did not intend for you to live this life alone. See, so often we see this dream God gives us and we think, oh, I got to carry this thing and we struggle with it and we wrestle with it and then we trip over it and we cut ourselves and we cry and we look over like, God, why did you do this? And he's like, no, no, this is not what I intended. I meant to be the strength. I don't know why you keep trying to carry this alone, but I don't know who you're trying to prove it to. I don't know what you're trying to earn. I already love you more than I could ever love you. I already care more than I could ever care. I want to be the strength that you need to fulfill what we're setting out to do, the dream in your life. I meant to be that strength, and I'm going to cheer you on and be like, man, you're doing amazing. Let's go. I'm going to celebrate you, but I'm the strength. The Holy Spirit is the strength. To go the distance, we need the Holy Spirit to live faithfully and joyfully in the space between the dream and the destination. We need the Holy Spirit every day. We need Him every moment, in every relationship, in every situation, always sustaining, always providing wisdom in every moment. We need that kind of presence. And today I want to encourage you, it's all about the Holy Spirit. If you have never received Jesus Christ and been filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm here to say that is the only way to live. It's the only peaceful way. It's the only joyful way. And if you're here today and you do know Jesus Christ, you have been filled with the Spirit, but you are just feeling weary and worn out, and you are living in the distance, you can't quite see the destination, you don't know how to get there, you're frustrated, you're discouraged, I'm here to say what's amazing about the Holy Spirit is not only does He fill you, but He renews you, and He strengthens you, and He uplifts you. And some of you, you need to be, for a lack of better words, refilled today. You need to be renewed today by the Holy Spirit who's already with you. And I don't know how long that distance is for you, but God has sent his Holy Spirit for you. Would you stand with me today? For those of you here who are here today in that distance between the dream and the destination, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to fill you and renew you and that you would walk out of this place strengthened by him. No matter where you are in that distance, that you would be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want to do. This altar space right here, in just a moment, the band's going to lead us in the song declaring that the Lord's doing a new thing. And I'm just going to open this space up, and here's what I want to invite you. One, if you just need to be filled with the Spirit right here. Say, I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I need the strength that comes from him. Not my strength, but his strength. Or maybe today you're in the middle of the distance and you've been frustrated, discouraged, exhausted, and you say, God, I need you to renew me, to strengthen me today. I don't want to leave exhausted. I want to leave encouraged. Then this space is for you. Or maybe today you just need God to move in your life. You're believing God to do something in your life or someone's life around you, and you need him to move. In just a moment, I'm going to open this space up this morning and invite you to come.
And when you come up, our prayer team will just be around and they'll come and they'll lay a hand on your shoulder likely. And if you want to, there you go, just like this. You can just keep praying and ignore them if you want. Or if you'd like prayer, you can just turn and talk to them and they'll pray for you. But there's no pressure. This is a you and God moment. But we believe that when you step out and put your physical posture in alignment with your heart posture, there's something special that happens that God moves. So I'm going to encourage you in just a moment to take that step if you need God to fill you. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray an openness in your heart and a removal of fear. Isn't it weird that we judge people for wanting God to move when we're at church? Well, none of us here do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're here for transformation, for renewal. I want to encourage you to leave renewed today. So I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you forward as the band plays. God, we thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you renew. God, if anyone here today has never received the hope and healing of a new life in Jesus Christ, I pray right now that we would surrender our hearts completely and totally to you and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, for those today who know you, Jesus, but are feeling poured out and are feeling weary and they've been holding on to the dream, but they are tired and they need to be filled up. We pray a renewal today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we pray for those who are desiring a move of you in their lives or those around. God, we pray this morning that you would move in power and glory because we know you are a good God and we know your promises are good and we know your ways are good and we know your love is good. And so we pray this morning, would you move? Would you move? Holy Spirit, would you renew? Holy Spirit, would you fill? In Jesus' name. I'm just going to invite you right now as we worship. Would you come forward? And we're going to pray together this morning.